it, in the former Soviet Union, there was a, a, a lecturer on communism. He lectured to thousands of people one day, and he concluded his lecture with these words. This is a true story. Therefore, he said, there is no God. Jesus Christ never existed. There is no such thing as the Holy Spirit. The church is an oppressive institution, and it's out of date anyway. The future belongs to the state, and the state is in the hands of the party. Then one Russian Orthodox elderly, very elderly priest, got up in his feeble state and said, may I say a few words? And he said, okay. And he gets up, and with all the vigor and energy he could muster, he said to the crowd, Christ is risen, alleluia. And the crowd roared back, he is risen indeed, alleluia. You see, communism is, is all but dead, and Christianity in Christ lives. So welcome to the third week of Easter. It is a season where we look at snapshots of, of Easter joy and what a difference Easter made in the lives of those disciples. And today we're going to look at chapter 24 of Luke's gospel. It's an amazing account to those first century disciples. So if you get a, have a Bible, please turn with me. We're going to look at verses 36 to 49 of chapter 24. If you walk along with me, it'll mean more to you. Um, but let me just first say, if you look at all the descriptive words of that account of Easter that we have, you'll find words like they were startled, they were frightened, they thought they saw a ghost, they were terrified, they were troubled, they were filled with doubts. That doesn't sound like Easter, does it? But yeah, yeah, that was. That's, and, and who wouldn't be? I mean, Jesus was dead, right? I mean, the last time they saw him, they watched him die on the cross. They watched the women anoint his body for burial. They watched the cloths being wound around him like a mummy. They watched him being put into a tomb in a, a stone slab, many hundreds of pounds rolled into place. He was dead. As my grandmother said, dead as a doornail. I don't know what a doornail is, actually, but, but I, I gather it means pretty darn dead. And, and here in verse 36, Jesus stood among them and began to speak to them. Jesus lives. But in what way does he live? That's a good question. It's an important question. One of the great divisions of the liberal and more biblical church today has nothing to do with sexuality, which is what the media wants to focus on. It has to do with theology and history. And one guy who was a progressive scholar back in the 50s and 60s named Rudolf Bultmann he said that modern people can no longer believe in the bodily, physical resurrection of the dead. We're modernist. We have light bulbs, electricity, cars, airplanes. So we got to now transfer that into a spiritual resurrection. Doesn't matter if Easter happened because it didn't. People don't get up from the grave. It matters that Easter happens in your heart and you have some sense of joy when you know Jesus. Well, boom. Luke destroys that today, doesn't he? Oh, my goodness. Even some people today will spiritualize Easter. You know, they, they love to come out at Easter time, and, and, and they say, you know, it, it's such a pleasant time of eggs and baskets and bunnies and springtime flowers. The azaleas are grand, and, and the, the church is a, a great place for second chances. Easter must be about some vague second chances, right? Some even come to church and say, well, Easter is also about life after death, right? Uh, maybe there's some sense of our spirit living on after this life. 
You know, you, you die and you go into this dark tunnel and you see the light at the end of the tunnel and there's this be- uh, beckoning voice, come to the light, come to the light. And that's what Easter means for some people. Not for Luke. Look at this. These people were terrified and troubled and skeptical because Easter shattered everything they thought they knew about death and life. Here was Jesus in the flesh before them. And he did three things for them. He calmed their fears, he opened their minds, and he hardened their feet. First of all, how did he calm their fears? Um, Look at verse 36. Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. That doesn't sound like much, does it? Just peace to you. But remember the last thing that Jesus had said that they had heard him say? It is finished. It was a cry of death from the cross of death. It is finished, and now he's speaking a word of peace. What does that mean? There's a connection there. You see, here's the deal. He had paid the price for sin. He had done everything necessary for our salvation. He had accomplished everything on the cross that we need to live life with God. It is finished. And now he's bearing our salvation with joy. Peace be with you. Here's it. Um, Alex will get this. His shalom on Easter evening, evening is the completion of it is finished. For the peace and reconciliation and life from God is now imparted. So shalom is our supreme Easter greeting because it's the completion of the death of Christ. It is reconciliation and joy of Easter. Ever notice why Paul starts all of his letters with grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? He's wishing Jesus' peace. Not Bob's peace, Jesus' peace. Not anybody's peace, but Jesus' peace. And that peace comes from reconciling the world to God. So that's why we turn to our brothers in the middle of the service every week, look them in the face, and say the peace of the Lord be with you. Not Terry's peace, but the peace of the Lord. A a joyful reconciliation with the God and Father who loves us so. G.R. Beasley Murray, New Testament scholar, said this, Shalom is one of the key words and images for salvation in the Bible. The Hebrew word refers most commonly to a person being uninjured and safe, made whole and sound. In the New Testament, Murray says, Shalom is revealed as the reconciliation of all things to God through the work of Christ. Shalom flows forth into one's relationships when they are put right with God, with oneself, and with others. The healing, peace be with you. He comforts them. Second way of comforting, though, is in verse 38. He allows them to investigate And if the Easter message cannot hold up to scrutiny, uh, then it's not worth believing in. But I think it's valuable to be able to go and investigate because it's real and it's true. Look at verse 38. Touch me, he says. I'm not a ghost. It is I myself, Jesus says. Touch me and see. Ghosts don't have flesh and blood as I have. Then he showed them his hands and his feet in verse 40. Why hands and feet? He wanted them to see the nail scars, right? Jesus wanted them to see that that what was cast down is being raised up, that that the body that was broken is now whole again. You see, that's God's mission in the world, not some spiritual vague sort of drifting into the light at the end of time, but God's about the business of making all things new again. Isn't that why 
We talk in the creed about, uh, in, in the Lord's Prayer about thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, bring heaven down to earth and, and remake this thing and make it what it was always meant to be. Restore it to its proper glory. That's what we're praying as Christians. And we find comfort in that. Like Isaiah said in chapter 25, we read this at funerals oftentimes. Because funerals are Easter for that person, right? And God will, wipe up, will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces on that day. And the reproach of his people will be taken away from the earth. For the Lord himself has spoken this. It's what John talks about in Revelation 21, right? The new heaven and new earth, earth come down to heaven. So the resurrection body of Jesus is saying that this is the beginning of God remaking things and putting them in their proper order. In fact, Jesus reigns in that new order in majesty from a throne, and he says to them, Behold, I am making all things new. Don't believe this is a very physical Easter? Look at verse 42 and 43. Boys, you got anything to eat? Give me that fish. And he took it and he ate it. Ghosts don't eat, my friends. Give me a fish, take it and eat it. He's claiming that, that resurrection is a new life lived in the body in a new world that God has remade. Isn't that glorious? That's so much better than being, being uh, angels or vapor or playing a harp forever. It means God is remaking everything that's gone wrong. The Apostles' Creed in the daily office, we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. So it is at every funeral that we read the words of Job. Remember, one of the oldest books in the Bible, and it says this, As for me, I know my Redeemer lives, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though this body be destroyed, I'm going to get a new body. Yet shall I see God, he says, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not as a stranger. Easter is the projection of making all things new again. And finally, he opened their minds to this, Look at verse 44. These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, he says, that everything written about me in the law and the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus is saying there that the whole of the Bible is about him, that everything in the Old Testament points to him. Then he opened to them, verse 45, their minds to understand this scripture and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that this repentance for the forgiveness of sins must be proclaimed to the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Remember, that's not the first time they've heard that, right? Those passion predictions, I must suffer and die and go to Jerusalem and rise again. He kept telling them that. And they're like little children, putting their fingers in their ears, la, 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 don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear about your death and going to Jerusalem, and, and nobody gets raised up from the dead. That's silly talk, Jesus. The one person who did listen was Peter, right? He said, God forbid it, I'll not let it happen. Nobody got it right. Nobody wanted to hear about death. But here Jesus restates it. Why do they listen this time? Look at verse 45. Because he opened their minds to understand this scripture. He had told them before, but their minds weren't opened by the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God. Maybe you have been a non-Christian for part of your life, and 
You go into the scriptures and said, man, this is confusing. It's hard to understand. It's kind of boring. It's dull. And then you came to faith in Christ and received the Holy Spirit of God into your life. And suddenly the words leap off the text with hope and joy in a way that they never did before. You know what's happening? Jesus is opening the scriptures to you. Jesus, in fact, said, when I go to heaven, the Holy Spirit will do the same thing. John 16, 3, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he'll not speak on his own authority. He'll speak what he hears from the Father, and he'll declare to you all these things. So he calms their hearts, he opens their minds, and then he sends about in mission. But they're not quite ready yet. They need hard feet. And that's the last point. Jackie Pullinger, wonderful Christian woman from England, said this, God wants us to have hard feet as Christians and soft hearts. But more often than not, we have hard hearts and soft feet. What does she mean by that? She means that when the Holy Spirit of God comes upon us, our hearts should break for the least and the last and the lost. And those who don't know Jesus, our hearts should go out to the world and our feet should be hard for the journey. And yet they're oftentimes soft. We're self-centered. We won't go anywhere. We won't sacrifice anything. It's all about us. But our hearts are meant to be soft and our feet hard. How do we do that? Look at verse 49. And behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you. But stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. The Holy Spirit gives us soft hearts of, of compassion to our neighbors and the unsaved world. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us hard feet, lasting faith, courage to persevere. It's a reversal, though, of what we might think. He said, go to Jerusalem, then I'm going to send you out. Remember, up until this point in history, everybody went to Jerusalem to meet God. Now he's saying, go there, and I'll clothe you, and then you're going to go out. You see, we're now the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? That whole thing when he died, the, the veil of the temple was torn in two and God's Spirit was unleashed on the world and suddenly everybody can be the temple of the Holy Spirit. But instead of meeting with God in a temple made by hands, they're going to meet with God through you and through me, the saints and the church. You are now my witnesses, he said, but go to Jerusalem first, receive power from on high, and then take God to the world. You are my witnesses. As someone once said, oftentimes you're going to be the only Jesus that the unbelieving world will ever see. Friends, we're part of a gospel Easter mission, a gospel resurrection mission to proclaim the forgiveness of sin through repentance and the good news that Christ has overcome sin, and the gospel mission is still ongoing. Easter is an open chapter, and you're written into the book. So the Easter story is completed in us. There are two small notes of application before I end. First of all, for Christians, notice the people that Jesus called on to be his witnesses to the world. These people who freaked out. The people who doubted. The people who were frail. The people who were slow to believe, trapped in fear. You are my chosen apostles to the world, he says. You know, if Jesus can use those bumpkins, he can use any of us in this church, I guarantee you. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the hard feet and the soft heart to be the witnesses. Last thing, if you're an unbeliever, 
you're a struggler, you hadn't come to, to faith in a physical bodily resurrection, notice Jesus' attitude towards them. He doesn't come in angry. He doesn't say, boys, I can't believe you left me back there on the cross. He doesn't. He comes with a word of peace to their unbelief. He offered to open up their hearts with a calming presence. He offered to open up the scripture so that their minds could be engaged and finally understand. And he offered a promised Holy Spirit so that they could begin to live a spirit-filled life for the Christian journey. He was patient. He was kind. He was merciful. And so if you hadn't gotten there yet, go and ask him to open up the word. Ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and to fill you with faith. To understand that he must suffer and die. And through repentance of sin, God is reconciling the world. Amen.